Welcome back to Beauty Uncovered by Olaplex, your access to world-renowned beauty experts, industry leaders, and beauty influencers on the cutting edge of what's happening now. And I also met a bunch of makeup artists who would do consulting. And that's really how I was like, this is what I want to do. I could see that you could have a career and what it looked like, at least from where I was sitting, was like amazing. Okay. So Quinn, I think I'm going to actually, I'm going to read your bio. Oh, wow. I'm going to tell people a little bit about you. So Quinn Murphy is a bi-coastal makeup artist. He was born and raised in Oakland, California, where he was constantly influenced by the style and music and multicultural offerings of the city. After moving to New York City, Quinn began pursuing makeup professionally. And today, his celebrity clients include Lily Alderidge, Carly Kloss, Kate Hudson, Olivia Palermo, Diane Kruger, Dakota Fanning, and Allison Brie. His work has appeared in publications such as Allure, Glamour, Vogue, Style, Love, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, and Interview. Quinn has worked on major advertising campaigns for Swarovski, Banana Republic, Armani Exchange, and Audemars Paguay, which I had to practice. That's <laughs> <laughs> so hard. And he is the host of the really popular In My Chair podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad Thank you're you. here. I have been listening to your podcast. I've actually admittedly only got through three so far, but I'm like okay. obsessed. So I'm kind of curious. You started in December, just this past December. Yeah. So why, what inspired you? Because I mean, you are an incredible makeup artist. I mean, obviously you have a lot of great clientele. I can understand. I mean, did you just decide, hey, I'm having these conversations. Why not record them? In a sense, yes. Two years ago, I had the idea that I wanted to start a podcast and then life gets really busy and you're kind of satisfied with work, you know, in a sense. And I just really never got around to doing it. And then after, gosh, I don't know, nine months of the pandemic, I was like not working, feeling very isolated and feeling like I don't know what to do with my time and having pretty low self-esteem about it. So I was like, you know what? I have nothing else to lose. Let me try and do this podcast. And it was really an act of faith. And I had no idea where it was going to go or what guests I could get or anything. And yeah, since January 12th, I think was the first episode. And it's been great. It's just been keeping me really busy, which is great. For Very engaged with all of the people that are on there. I was listening to Jen Atkins the other day. Gosh, I'm trying to remember. The last one that you just did with makeup artist and... You got to forgive me sometimes. Lucia Peroni, maybe? Yes, that was brilliant. Thank you. Brilliant. What a wonderful That was great for me because she's honestly my favorite makeup artist and I've always idolized her. You could kind of tell when listening to you. Yeah. (laughs) Like there is a a little bit, a slight bit of awe in that conversation. (laughs) Yeah. No, and just to use the show, even as an opportunity to meet people that I've always looked up to and maybe would never meet before has been amazing. Wow. Yeah. So do you feel that you, because I noticed that you have a lot of makeup artists on there. I mean, do you kind of go into it, just kind of talk and shop and want to find out what other people are doing? You know, it really depends. I try to do as much research as I can before the show and then kind of forget about it. You know, I've got it written down and everything, but it's really like a moment to moment experience for me. 
And I really try to just see where it goes. And, you know, in the beginning when I was doing it, it was like, oh, I wasn't going to talk about that until later, you know, in my mind, I'm going up, that was supposed to be talked about later. And really quickly learning that whenever things come up or wherever the conversation goes is the best place to be. I mean, a lot of times it is, it's literally just having a conversation with someone in your chair. I mean, as a hairdresser, I completely understand that, relate to it. Yeah, absolutely. So So, you grew up in California. Did, yeah. And I was reading a little bit about you and it was saying that, you know, you grew up in California, moved to New York, and that's where you decided to become a professional makeup artist. So what led up to that? Because it's not like suddenly you went, I'm just going to go be a makeup artist. Yeah. What brought you to that place? Oh, gosh. Oh, some accidents, some failure, firings, different things. I went to Boston University. That was the first time I'd ever been in snow or like really on, I think, on the East Coast. And upon graduation, like the day I graduated, I got in a U-Haul. I moved to New York because I knew that that's where I wanted to be. And I What be- did you study? I was in school for the arts. Very nice. I knew that I wanted to be in New York and I knew that I needed to make money. And so, I mean, I tried various other jobs, but I got to the point where I decided to be an admin, like a temp, and do it at a beauty brand. So I barely passed the exam to be like, you know, I think you had to have like 70 out of 100 and I had like 71 or something. And so I got- For their exam. For whatever, typing and like, you know, all of that. It's not my strong suit. I was surprised I even passed. But I got a job at Estee Lauder and Mac being, you know, in corporate. And it was really great. I got to see the other side of the industry, you know, the product development, the marketing, just the whole back end of the beauty industry, which I'm glad I did because I know that's not where I want to be at all. Um, But it helps you understand where you're going. It helps me understand for sure. And I also met a bunch of makeup artists who would do consulting. And that's really how I was like, this is what I want to do. I could see that you could have a career and what it looked like, at least from where I was sitting, was like amazing. You know, so then I was like, that's what I want to do. So knowing that you studied the arts in Boston. Yeah. And you're coming into this and you're going into makeup artistry. Do you feel as though you brought a lot of that education into the makeup artistry? Or do you feel like it's completely separate? I don't know. I think it did. You know why? <laughs> I actually saw a video once of you and you were saying your favorite top five favorite things. And you had this palette and you say, I bring this palette everywhere because you never know when somebody needs a certain color. And I yep. just mix them. And it was like navy blues, reds, you know, like all these random colors, not like the kind of colors that most people would have in their makeup palette. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, oh, this man has an art background. So it doesn't shock me. Yeah, I guess, you know, I kind of think everything I've done has kind of led up to where I am now in so many ways. But when I decided to assist and really go back to school to be a makeup artist, when you work and assist under people, I had to learn how to be a makeup artist, how to be on set, how to, you know, do everything. And I'm also just curious, you probably know, like, just in general, like, if I'm like, color, okay, let me read the Itin book of color and see how everything... So it's kind of geek out over things like that so that that box then becomes something that I can understand and manipulate. But it comes from a place of curiosity. So I'm curious, what the, in that box, because it looked like creams. To me, it looked like a paint yeah, palette. Yeah, grease paint. It was a, yeah. It, it was, was like, like grease paint. Grease paint, yeah. 
But, and how, what so do you, I gotta to ask, what do you do? Like, how do you blend that to make what you need? I mean, it's not that complicated. It's almost like kids in preschool playing with color. And, you know, it's like boiling things down to their essence is like when you're on set and you have something that you know how to build, you don't need a hundred shades because you can make it, you know? So it's a lot like finger painting. I mean, really mixing color, it takes time to practice and to get better at it and to... Sometimes it's fun just to try to copy a color and go, okay, well, I'm going to try and... I was with my niece, who at the time was probably seven or eight, and we were doing paints, like mixing paints to copy the perfect shade of a leaf outside. And she did it in like 10 seconds, way faster than me. It was just intuitive. Like, it's no... Or maybe she's also... I, I think maybe she might be special. <laughs> she's special. She's Because my kids would be getting, like, orange for a green right. leaf. <laughs> Yeah. No, she is special. She actually is doing really great makeup herself. Now she's 12 and she does like, it's not the makeup that I do, which is more focused on like a real woman and beauty. It's more makeup that is fantasy and, you know, Comic-Con type stuff. Yeah, totally. And she's fantastic at it, which is really fun to see someone in my family also be into that. That is so great. I love Comic-Con stuff. I'm a little yeah, bit of a game. It's not my thing at all. I just, I, I mean, not something I would do, but like yeah. I'm completely in awe of people that can. Yeah, me too. Very, very cool. Very cool. So I completely like went around. So you went to New York, you worked yeah. for the corporate for a while. You decided you wanted to go into makeup artistry and you're yeah. assisting. Yeah. So, so where did you start finding that you got kind of like your break where you were like, okay, no, I got this. And you're starting to really expand. So I assisted for like four years and did odd jobs to make money because you don't make any money as an assistant. So it didn't happen overnight. Like it really, I did a lot of it I did for free, almost like education. Like I would just ask like, you know, my mentor, Brigitte Reese Anderson, can I come on set with you? That job looks cool. Can I come? And just, I would literally just go for free to learn, you know, which was really valuable. And you don't get that time back because once you're on your own, like now I get to talk to other makeup artists, but I don't really have a lot of contact with them because you're hired for the job. So it's not okay. like I can peek in to see what other people are doing unless, you know, it's online. My mentor, Brigitte, couldn't do Mariah Carey for, I don't remember what it was for. And I got a call from, I had the same agent at the time. And he said, can you be at Mariah Carey's apartment in Tribeca at four o'clock? And I was like, yeah. Oh and I was young. <laughs> It was really young. And so I went, we hit it off. And then basically they were like, can you come with us? I think it was somewhere in the Caribbean or I can't remember. Can you come with us? Do you have your passport? And I think later on that evening or the next morning, I was on a plane with them traveling. Wow. And that was, I spent about a year with her almost every day. I mean, I let's say I wasn't working with anybody else. So if she wasn't doing anything, but she was really busy. And so I kind of just got pushed into the celebrity kind of industry. And that's when I was no longer an assistant because I no longer had time to assist Mm -hmm. physically. Couldn't be in two places at once. And that was really awesome. And I learned so much. And looking back on it, I'm so grateful for it, but I was so not ready for that. You know, not only in terms of the makeup, but more in terms of everything that goes along with being 
with someone of that magnitude and all of the, you know, kind of workings of that. Well, I mean, it's kind of like what you were saying that, you know, as an assistant, you're learning all the, the way to work, the surroundings, the way to work yeah. with the clients, the producers, the this, the that, whatever it may be. And when you're zeroing on one person, especially a megastar like that, I imagine there's like a whole new level of learning that has to be done. Absolutely. I mean, the thing about working with one person or even having two people, my friend and I were just talking about this for him now in his career, but it's always for everyone is that I think it's better to work with a handful of people because when you get too close to one person, you still are constantly reminded that you're still working for them and that it's still a business arrangement. And that when that goes away, which it did, you have to start over. And I really had to start over because A, I didn't have a huge career before that. And B, it was 2008 and the economy crashed. That's right. So on one hand, I was really grateful that I had all that work and I saved the money because I lived off of it for like two years. But it was also like, when all you have is this one person, you don't have anything to fall back on. And then also you have, you can get in your head about the, that relationship. It gets heavy. It gets a little bit like, oh, I hope they're happy. You know, it just gets a little codependent. Whereas if you have more clients, you know what? You can't please everybody. I'm going to do my best. But if it doesn't work out, I still have all these other people. Yeah. So it, it is a thing that you want to remember that like, it's good to have distance with your clients. And I'm still learning that. But the healthiest... But really- makeup artistry, just like hairdressing, it's such an intimate relationship. It is. It really is. I sometimes don't think people understand that there's a, a particular type of emotional intelligence you have to have to be able yep. to do it. It is. And not, not everybody wants your level of emotional intelligence. Some people don't want that intimacy And they're going to find people who also don't want that intimacy. And some people really do. And then sometimes you think you're very intimate and are really close. And then you realize that it's work. It's business. Business. So it's a really, I mean, I don't have that figured out. The only thing I can say is the more diversified you are, even doing the podcast, even having like, you know, my home life and then having several clients, it makes everything less heavy. And it Mm. makes you more adaptable to different clients and situations, definitely. So you stayed in New York? I did, yeah. That's crazy, because I'm from New York. So I sit there and I look. Yeah, well, from Long Island. I'm a Long Island girl. (laughs) But now live in Florida. And I've been to California quite a few times. So, I mean, I sit there. New York, California are just like two opposite sides of the coin completely different. So to grow up in California, then to go to New York, that must've been a bit of a culture shock. Yes and no. I'm from the Bay area, which is like not LA, you know, like there's LA when you say you're from California, everyone thinks you're from LA, but the Bay area is very different. And also the Bay area that I grew up in is very different now. In what way? was. Oh, it's completely been taken over by like Silicon Valley and tech nerds. And wealthy, you know, wealthy tech industry has permeated the entire Bay Area to even areas like Oakland that were never considered glamorous or desirable now have people moving there from San Francisco. And, you know, 
it's changed the whole dynamic. It's it's completely unaffordable. Like not that New York isn't, but it's just a completely different place than where I grew up. It's kind of like the area that I live in now when people think Florida. Well, they have a lot of thoughts when they think Florida. I do. But we actually live right by NASA and we SpaceX and we're just all engineers, all engineers okay. in our neighborhood. You know, rocket scientists, whatever. And it's not what you would normally see in most of Florida. It's a little bit different. Little like bit they different. read. They believe in science. <laughs> well, I would hope so. I mean, they work. <laughs> They're sending stuff up into space. I would hope so. But it's kind of cool because my two older are, you know, they're older and, you know, into film editing and whatnot. But my little one, my surprise, he's 11. And so he goes to school and every time they have like a show and tell and a parent shows up, it's always an astronaut. Oh, wow. It's always an astronaut. It's someone or an engineer or something. So he gets exposed to that all the time. It's kind of cool. The kids at the school must be so smart. That would be really annoying for someone like me. (laughs) I think the hard part now with seeing with schools is that it's like everybody learns differently, right? And it's kind of like you were saying with the typing, you know, I couldn't do that. I mean, there's other things I'll ace, but not that. Mm -mm. Yeah. Uh I think when you become an adult, like when you're a kid, you're supposed to be good at everything. You get graded on everything and especially in terms of what's like academic, you know? And then when you're an adult, you realize that you can really just specialize in the thing that you're good at and it doesn't really matter. I never have to do chemistry or physics ever again in my life. Yeah. I mean, we we had to do it again when we had to do our cosmetology license. We had to do chemistry stuff. Oh God, yeah. See, they kept having to do any of that. Oh, see? But yeah, you're mixing stuff. <laughs> I know, but I don't think it's chemical enough. You know? no, it's, yeah. no, it's not necessarily bleaching the skin or anything. Right. So from here, you've been staying in New York and doing the podcast. I mean, what is your dream person to be on the podcast? Gosh, that's such a good question. And I don't, you're not going to alienate anybody by saying no, no, I you don't care about that. <laughs> That's not it. It's just I, there's so many people like immediate people. I'm better at knowing who I want next. I'd love to have Paul Cavaco, who is a legendary fashion editor and stylist. He mm. was the creative director at Allure for a long time. I'd love to have him on. I would love to have Edward Enfell on, who is the new creative director of British Vogue. I mean, I would love to broaden my... Right now, the podcast is really focused on beauty and our industry, which is great because it's what I know and it's interesting. And a lot of the people haven't like used their voices yet. But I would love to interview people about Black Lives Matter or somebody to come on and explain something about global warming to me. Or I, I have broader interest than just this industry. So that's what I would like to do is eventually like broaden the base of people. I was telling you before we went on air, I had listened to Kristen Bell's. And I have to say, hands down, just such a great conversation. And I was saying, she's like my spirit animal. Yeah. I don't care. Like, loved it. But she was, there was so much depth into that conversation. I would not sit here. I don't even think there was anything really too in-depth she on beauty like per that. se. She was one of the people when I came up with the concept for the show that I was thinking of in my chair. Because that is really how you have 12-hour days together doing press. And Mm -hmm. those are the kinds of conversations that we have more often than not. 
See, but I think that you could do that. You could invite all kinds of people and be like, wow. Yeah. Wow. I love the expansiveness of that. That Yeah. She's amazing. I liked her from the moment I met her and just thought, oh my God, am I that jerk who has my phone not on vibrate during- I do that sometimes. Um, (laughs) No, she's incredible. I felt so- thankful that she was on my podcast. These people have kids. They're really busy. They have businesses that we don't even know about. And the thing I hate the most about doing the podcast is asking people to be on because it's just my personality. I don't like, I don't want to ask people for things. And then I'm also insecure about them saying no. And then how- Well, the funny thing is, is that a lot of people that we wind up approaching to come up on here, they're all excited. They're Uh, very excited. I think we underestimate the fact that they want to talk. Right. Or they can just say no, and then it's not that bad. Well, yeah, they could say no. But I had no idea starting out, and it wasn't that long ago, the guests I would get. Like, if somebody were to tell me right now, this is the list of guests you're going to have in your first four months or three months, I would be floored. I really had no expectation that I would get people, you know, like... Lucia Peroni or Orlando Pita or any of these people that have been on my podcast that are legends in our industry, I never would have thought that they would do it. And I think it's because they're listening. And I mean, this might sound like bragging, but I think people are into a longer format conversation. I think so much of what we do, especially in our industry, is Instagram and visual and like and move on. Mm -hmm. And I think that especially during COVID, there is a longing for to hear people just connect and talk mm-hmm. and a longer format. And I think that the reason that people are coming on is because they like what they're hearing. Definitely. And can relate and maybe actually learn something new. I definitely learned a lot from your last guest as well. I'm talking about some of the makeup that she had done and relating to back to the 90s and the red lip and the pale skin. I'm like, I remember those days. It's such a great throwback. (laughs) The funny thing is too, is that I have people listening who are like straight guys who work in construction or like I'm literally that's someone I'm thinking of. But I do think that there is a commonality, like they might not understand you know, what we're talking about, about set politics, but they could understand what it is like the politics between, you know, on their site or a client, or there's something that everyone can relate to when you kind of peel the top layer off and really have a conversation. It's universal. And so that's why I think people are interested in it beyond people who are just into beauty. Yeah. I mean, at least with me, when I was listening to it, some of the things that she said really resonated me about her instinctualness in what she does as opposed to something that's wrote, you know, this is what, that the artistry that comes out and that if she doesn't think too long about it, she does her best work. But when she starts, she gets nitpicky and I'm like, oh, geez, that's me when I'm cutting hair. Isn't that great to hear though, as another artist to say like, you don't need to overthink it. You don't have to come from a cerebral point of view that you can just kind of do it. Well, there's a lot of perfectionism in our industry. I mean, not just the way people look, which I really do feel like there's, we can get on a whole nother topic with that, that there's a little bit more realism 
in a lot of things that are going on now. But when it comes to us, there's like this certain standard that everything has to be so perfect. And to the point where we're overanalyzing what we're doing. I love getting back to that instinct. You've learned your steps, you know, have it come into you now, just create. Oh, delicious. Yeah. And I think that one of the things, I mean, I definitely, it's funny. My partner was thinks I'm like, this is like an exorcist because you can tell what is important to me by the questions that I always ask the people. It's very telling, right? Like mm-hmm. I keep going back to comparing yourself to others, to perfectionism, to how do you pull yourself out of a dark situation? All of that's about me first. That's mm-hmm. why those questions are coming up is because that's where my brain is coming from, right? So I don't feel like I even need to be interviewed because you can tell who I am by the questions I'm asking. But the thing that I noticed, because I work with people who are successful, they're all successful to get to where they are by the time they can hire hair and makeup, that the difference between these people and the just as talented people who aren't successful is that they don't give up and they don't wallow in those moments. Or if they do, they finally figured out a way to get past it and keep moving. And that's what the commonality in everybody I talk to is that when you get knocked down and everybody does, these people Mm -hmm. go, what's next? And that's what I wanted for people listening because I know a lot of people personally who are far more talented than a lot of the people who I work with, but they're in their own way. They don't know how to keep going. And if we can learn how to just take that from these people that have figured that out, then people could actually make the art that they were made to make or sing, you know, songs that they were born to sing, but they're not because they have insecurities or feel like they're not good enough. It's really funny. I have a daily mantra that I've been saying for about five, six years. And I would say thank you to the universe for all the gifts that it has waiting for me. I'm just trying to get out of my own way. I'm doing my best. I'll get out of my own way. So I... Any of them, are you finding any commonalities in that? Like in all the people that you're talking to, are you finding there is a commonality, like something they do that helps them push back? Yeah. Everyone I talk to, because everyone I talk to is successful in their career, right? A lot of them, and I don't know this because some of it hasn't been about that, but at least in terms of their art and their career, they're very successful. And that's what I was talking about. It doesn't mean that in other aspects of their life, like, There are people who, my clients, who are a mess in their real life and go, the only time I feel safe is when I'm on stage or when Mm -hmm. I'm in a scene, you know? I have a podcast coming up with Serge Normand, the famous hairstylist, and he was saying the same thing, that that's his safe place, is doing hair and when he has someone in the chair. So it doesn't mean that they don't have other things that they're not suffering in or need to work on. But these people have figured out how to push through it professionally and artistically. Mm. That's the difference. It's something like a secret that I think so many people want to kind of tap into. It's not easy. Actually, more so, I feel as though the ones that are able to kind of get out of their own way probably have more conversations with themselves and are a little bit more self-aware. I don't know if that's true. I don't think so. You don't think so? I think there's some... Because I have to have conversations with myself all the time. Like, okay, what exactly is blocking you? (laughs) I think there's so many reasons that some people can't deal with themselves. And the only way that they cannot deal with their emotional life is to work. You know? It's like someone... And they probably just don't have any fear from it. ...to work because you don't want to be with your feelings. 
that's another way the, the workaholic who is avoiding themselves. And there's a lot of people like that in, our, in my industry, in the freelance hair, makeup, styling, who are totally celebrated and have no personal life. And they work so that they don't have to deal with themselves. I would imagine there's a lot of people like that in Hollywood. I sit there and I say that only because I look at, you know, how often they're on film, whether it be on interviews, the press junkets, having to do this, having to do that. That's just what we see. Forget about what's going on in the background. God, how much commitment and time that must take. Yeah. Well, I I think there's something that makes people want to do that profession. There's something that makes hair and makeup and stylists want to do this profession because it's not like going into corporate America and you have a job. These jobs are a part of our identity and can become, for better or worse, really a part of our lives and worth at times, right? Like if you wanted to just go to work and check out, this isn't what you do. It's too competitive. You have a human being in front of you in your chair who wants something from you. You have to provide to them. It takes a lot out of you. Yeah. So it's not like a, I don't think it's not a job where you just clock in and clock out. Right. And so the, type and if you are, the chances are that I wonder how pleased your clientele is right. because the truth is, is that no matter how we're sitting there saying we have to have a little separation, this, that, not from our clients and ourselves. The truth is, is that we really want them to feel good about themselves. We really want them to love it because uh, yeah. that's our artistry. Yeah. And it's validating. Mm, God, I love that. (laughs) Sometimes now I'm at the point where with experience, you can say, you might not like it. We might not be a match. Just happened Mm -hmm. to me two weeks ago, literally. Like, I'm not taking it personally because I know what I can do. I know what I offer Mm -hmm. and it's enough. And it doesn't mean that I don't try as hard as I can to please you. I'm going to because I consider that to be my job. But it just means that at the end of the day, when I pack up my kit, it doesn't have to be a good match. And if it isn't, it's not a judgment on me, my talent, or who I am as a person. That's healthy. Well, I mean, if you wanted a Degas and you're seeing Picasso, (laughs) doesn't diminish Picasso's brilliance, but... You know, oh, I was waiting for you to compare me to Picasso. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Picasso. one. I love Picasso. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's all right. Whatever. Whatever. You know, just a master. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am so thrilled that you came on today. And it, this was so much fun. And I feel yeah. like I learned so much about your industry because it's a little different, a little different than what we do. And thank you for coming on. And I'm looking forward to all of the coming episodes. I'm definitely going to be listening about Sarge's. I'm I'm excited. And you know what's funny? I wasn't nervous before, but during it, I was like, this is so weird. I'm so much more comfortable asking the questions than being the one in the hot seat. I actually am going on a podcast next week. And there's that little part of me that's like, oh, they're going to ask me questions. (laughs) It's good for me to actually do this. You know, it'll make me better at, being a host. Maybe a little more empathetic of what we do to everybody else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so thank you. much. Thank you. Have a great day. Never forget, everything you want to be, you already are. You are simply on the path of uncovering it. 
Thank you again for listening to another episode of Beauty Uncovered. To know more about Olaplex and its beauty technology, visit olaplex.com. You can also subscribe to get the latest updates on emerging beauty trends and innovation. Join us again next time as you continue to uncover your unique beauty here on Beauty Uncovered.